Hello and welcome to this second in a series of three podcasts with Diane Gender's solicitors. My name's Neil Denny and I'm here with Alan Sill, behavioural psychologist. Hello, Alan. Hello. Uh, Alan works with individuals, helping them to focus on performance in various sectors. He helps them to control and understand their mental focus and challenges they face in order to be effective in any circumstances. Yes. Uh, we're in the middle. This is uh, episode two of three where we're looking at some of those uh, those challenges, those mental issues that impact individuals as they are approaching the end of a relationship and maybe the divorce or separation that follows. Indeed. And, and as we discussed in the, the first episode, which was all based around this idea of identity, we're uh, perhaps inevitably uh, focusing on uh, the male class, but not exclusively so. So it, it strikes me that the issues that we're discussing would apply just as much to female listeners as well as uh, uh, male listeners. It would very much so. Um, we have uh, an evolutionary part of our brain, if you like, that developed first. And if we kind of pick up from where we're la- less left off from the uh, previous podcast, we do go through a decision-making process when we come out of that Kubler-Ross curve that we previously mentioned, mm. where we have to decide what we're going to do and then integrate it with rational thought. Humans, unfortunately, do have a very strong emotional part to their brain. It's evolved as the first part of the brain. And as a species, what took us beyond that is the fact that our brain further developed. So if you want to go down the route of did we evolve from monkeys, did we evolve from apes, and that's that type of thing, when you look at apes now, they still respond to their emotional environment. They will challenge, they will fight, they will argue in whichever way or shape they need to, to win their ground. Mm. Us as humans, if you go back to early, early evolutionary times, we have various parts of our brains. And the first part of our brain that developed is at the top of the brain stem. So if you imagine your spinal cord going up into the bottom of your brain, mm-hmm. sat at the top of the spinal cord is the brain stem. Now, the brain stem holds various different things. It's called the limbic system. And the limbic system has various pieces of what is better probably referred to as equipment um, in, in, in more of a layman's term. And one piece of equipment that's in there is the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is what is fundamentally our memory bank. A lot of memory is stored in the hippocampus. This was first realised years ago where a gentleman, it's, it's a case study of a gentleman called HM, that's how they refer to him. Mm. He suffered from epilepsy. And the surgeons wanted to cure him of epilepsy by going into his brain and cutting out the part of the brain that they saw as being the cause for epilepsy. Oh my goodness, you're making me screaming. I know, it is a bit gory when you look at the original journal. They actually cut out a part of his hippocampus. And his hippocampus, once removed, or that section removed, when he came to, it was brilliant news. He no longer suffered from epilepsy. There's a but. He lost his memory. Any short-term memory that he had, he lost. And he gave himself up to research, and for the next 80 years, they did various experiments looking at this particular piece of equipment. So that's one section of the Olympic system. Another part of the Olympic system, which is really fundamental to what we're talking about, and the bit that we need to get to the bottom of, the nitty-gritty of, it's the amygdala. Mm. Now, the amygdala is a piece of kit that controls our bodily functions. Now, the amygdala is often referred to as being in control of something that is possibly known out there by many as fight or flight. Mm-hmm. 
fight or flight really is when the amygdala senses fear. So again, if we go to early evolutionary times, imagine yourself as the man, the hunter-gatherer, going out hunting. Saber-toothed tiger jumps out from behind a bush. What happens? Our body naturally reacts. Cortisone and adrenaline pumps around our body. It fills our body with strength. Mm -hmm. It fills our body with stamina. It really makes us alert. It arouses us to alertness. It makes us want to do one of two things. If we fight. think we can beat the animal, we'll fight. Right. If we don't think we can beat it, if it's a, a massive saber-toothed tiger, we will run. Either way, we've got our legs filled full of adrenaline. So if you imagine you're at a party and everyone's dancing around and it's all good fun and the music goes quiet and it's time for the food and all of a sudden a balloon bursts hmm. and everyone goes... <laughs> And everyone gets made, and everyone jumps. That initial jump, that initial shock, you get that feeling of, oh, what was that? Yeah, I can and still feel it. Yeah, sorry yeah. if I made the audience <laughs> out there jump a little. But your body does naturally start to shake. And you get that feeling of adrenaline going through your fingers and your heartbeat pulses. And you might start sweating a little bit more and you get dryness in the mouth. And all of these things are there designed by our complex brain to protect us. Now, what becomes difficult is when we allow that part of the brain to take over. Mm. And that is something that we might need to explore more. Mm. And, and this is kind of what we're talking about, the, where we're talking about the emotional hijack, where our, we, we like to think of ourselves, don't we, as rational, uh, capable decision makers, that, that you know, we, we can recognize emotion and that we can make a decision which is, uh, divorced from the emotion that we can be objective if you like uh, but it strikes me and, and you know with my clients and myself as well you know I see time and time again this fight or flight uh, response uh, happening I'll give you an example if I can uh, a, a client who perhaps I'm at court and we're about to go and see the judge we're trying to deal with some negotiations and uh, my client's wife solicitor has put forward a new proposal only now she wants the car as well as everything else that she was asking for. Um, and, and sometimes what I see with my clients is, and I think this is probably the, the fight response, where they will, the, you know, the, it's almost as if the fist goes down on the desk um, and we kind of get that, that does it response. I'm not giving her anything. And before where the negotiations have been going quite smoothly and we're making admittedly slow progress, you know, the, the whole thing is sabotage and he's withdrawn and he doesn't want to do the deal anymore. Yes. And, and he's, you know, he's in full combat mode. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's it. We're going to war. Yes. There's no negotiation. We're going to fight it out. Yeah. We're going to take it to its last breath. Yes. And we are going to not stop until we have come to that solution mm. that is fueled with anger and rage. Mm. An interesting point for yourself in that particular situation is how you then control the client how you let the client know that they may need to just stop hmm. for a second and just let them take a breath. Let them understand that their rational thinking part of their brain needs to take over, needs to come in. You see, I'm thinking that if I point out to them that, uh, that they need to take a moment for the rational part of their brain to kick in, I'm, I'm going to get belted myself. Well, unfortunately, you might be 
need to prepare to duck. Uh, this is yeah, something, if done in the wrong way, um, could provoke even more anger. Mm. And you could be then seen as the enemy mm. because actually you're not wanting to support them. You're not wanting to do what they say. You are not wanting to halt proceedings until it's done the right way. And you, you then potentially be seen as an obstacle. Mm. So working with the client before the negotiation period and getting to know the client is absolutely vital. And coming up with little signs and little signals that the client will understand. So it might not necessarily be, we're going to stop it there as being a bad thing. Mm -hmm. We're going to stop it there might be a cue just for them to know that you've seen an, an irrational response. And it's up to them to appreciate that you are viewing it from an outsider's point of view mm. and looking after their best interests. Mm. So it could be any signal, it could be a hand gesture, it could be a wink, it could be a nod. Just a signal to let them know, okay, fight or flight has kicked in and I need to just take a breath. Yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, that, that kind of like, you know, the, the, I'm sat here with my hands held out in front of me, palms facing forward, just in that, you know, that kind of woo yes, uh, kind of gesture. Yes, yeah. similar yeah. to how you would with children, really, if their children, are, uh, if you have two children and they start fighting, you will go in between them and just go, whoa, yeah. and you put your hands between them and kind of try and separate them in a gentle way. Mm. Very much that's that, that type of thing stopping the anger so we see the we see that flight response uh, happen frequently uh with our divorce clients and you know women as well as men uh the the other response was the flight and i think i see that as well but let's say a similar negotiation situation and uh, uh the other solicitor comes in they make their new uh, proposal and sometimes what i see is this the the whole body kind of sags and there there there's this kind of giving up and this sense of um, this 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 air of resignation. I'll forget it. Give give her, give him whatever they want. I'm I'm not bothered. Yes, absolutely. It's it's the opposite. It's the polar opposite to the fight, mm. where we slam our fist down and say that's it, no more. Let's go to war. That's your fight mode. Flight mode would very much be, I can't do this. I don't want to do this, and I want to run away from the fact. Mm. It's not necessarily that want to run away from. The negotiation it's just that they don't feel that they can deal with it hmm. so again going back to the Kubler-Rossa cycle the curve it may be that they're not in the right place in the curve to hmm. deal with it hmm. but unfortunately inevitably it is that they do need to deal with it and running away from the situation doesn't necessarily produce the best outcome Yes. but it is a natural response still. Mm. If they're faced with that pressure, the fight or flight comes in and the flight mode takes over and they just want to run away, they could sign away £200,000 and accept £2,000 mm. because they just want done with it. Yes. Especially if we refer back to the previous podcast looking at the personal social identity, if they feel like they've moved on and created a new social or personal identity in another area or indeed gone into a new relationship mm -hmm. they might be getting pressure from that side or that circle of friends or that new relationship saying just take whatever mm. let's not go through this let's not have this hassle let's just get out of it and go yes so you're almost preempting the flight mode mm -hmm. so you'll still get the adrenaline kicking in but your adrenaline's ready to run away mm. so it's again having the same strategies and techniques to be able to say whoa Let's just take five. We need to just have a talk. We need to rationalize what we're saying here 
before we say anything that is irrational. Mm. That's not a problem-solving decision. Yes. It's just a, an irrational thought or an explosion of emotion. And, and part of the challenge is that when, uh, when clients have these moments, and I know when I have them myself, that the, whether it's the flight or the uh, fight reaction feels completely right. To, yes. to, to me personally, you know, if I'm the one having the response, it feels completely logical and reasonable. Yes. And, yeah. and utterly justified. And it will. And it will. Because that's what your body's designed to do. It's designed to listen to its emotions. We are emotive animals. We are a species. We can't get away from the fact that human beings, as much as we are propelled to the highest ranking of society, and we've got opposable thumbs and we can do all these different things, we are still essentially an animal. So we will go by our gut feelings. We will go by our natural instinct response. What the brain did later on, if you like, in evolution, it evolved to having a cortex. And the cortex is the grey matter that surrounds the limbic system. Now, not to get into too much detail about the segments of the brain, uh, but there are different lobes. So we've got the optical lobe at the rear that looks after our vision, and we've got parts of the brain that look after our hearing and our sound, vision, all of those different things. And we can see those through different types of uh, imaging scans that, that, that you can do. Mm. The main part of the brain that's the problem-solving part of the brain is the, the frontal lobe. Now, to put that into context of your natural emotion, what we've got to do is allow our problem-solving part of our brain time to take in the information, to think about the information, to make decisions of the information, to then produce a rational thought, mm. a pure problem-solved thought. Now, problem solving has got various different theories behind it. Uh, we can have um, stage problem solving where you get to a solution by going through a series of different stages as puzzles, if you like. Mm -hmm. You do one bit of a puzzle which links to another bit of a puzzle which links to another bit of a puzzle, which I imagine, in my layman terms of, of divorce, is similar to how you negotiate who gets what. Yeah, as you were saying that, I was thinking that that's very often how I'll run a case. Well, okay, I, I have an idea of where my client wants to get to so far as the outcome is concerned. Before we do that, we need to first of all sort this out. We need to understand what this is. We need to get that document. We need to get this information. And then we process that in a certain way. So, yeah, there, there would be a, a sequence to yes. it. Yes, and that's that's very much the, the same kind of research that's carried out in, in psychology for problem solving. But it is very much allowing the time for your emotion to settle, your adrenaline to settle, your cortisone levels to reduce, so that your brain is then functioning on a normal baseline, mm. so that the decisions you are making are rational thoughts. So expecting uh, to be able to make rational, good decisions, well thought through decisions at those peaks of arousal when the emotional hijack kicks in uh, that's probably unrealistic it can be and uh, it, it it takes it takes training it takes conscious awareness to know it's happening so so we can develop an awareness of where we're being hijacked yes 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 definitely if you're in a courtroom situation and you feel that you are under attack and you are feel that you are being bombarded with questions that are designed to probe you and to push the buttons, we've heard the saying, we know which mm. buttons to push. If you're aware that that is happening, then you can then undertake different techniques to keep yourself calm. Mm. 
and it's called positive self-talk. Right. What the amygdala will do under those type of situations, it might give you negative self-talk. So it might give you thoughts of, this person's getting the better of me. Mm-hmm. The case is not going my way. They're going to get everything and I'm going to get nothing. And as soon as you start saying that to yourself, your body will follow. Mm. Because psychosomatically, they are connected. What we tell ourselves in our brain, our body will believe. So the kind of work that I do with professional athletes, for example, if they're playing their sport and something goes wrong, their head will drop, their body language will go, and all the lactic acid will kick in, and all of a sudden, they can't carry on with the game because they've lost that ability to think positively. Mm. So that's what you're then looking at, how you think positively or negatively and how you deal with your own self-talk. So if it does feel like you're under attack, if it does feel like you're giving yourself negative feedback, which is biofeedback, your body will listen to it, your body will believe it, and then your rational thought will believe what your body is telling it, because it's a two-way street. If your body then starts telling you that it's tired, Hmm. you will then start feeling tired. You've got to think of the coping mechanisms and the strategies to combat that inner voice. Hmm. The amygdala kicks in, the emotions kick in, you feel like you're under attack, start telling yourself you're under attack, give yourself a minute, and then start remembering the techniques that you've maybe put in place, Mm. which can be key words or key phrases. Another technique I heard from uh, an international mediator, William Urey, is he was saying that he used to negotiate international uh, disputes. And he writes in one book that he was negotiating with General Noriega, who he found to be a, a really irritating man, who would be very willing to attack personally. And William Urey Uh, realized that he had to get a grip on his own reactions and the way that he behaved at those moments. And he developed a technique of whenever he became aware that his buttons were being pushed, that he was, you know, uh, uh, that Noriega was getting the better of him, he would pinch the inside of his palm. Yes. uh, You know, just to like kind of snap him out of that negative self-talk. Yes. And just to remind himself, oh, here we go. I know what's going on. This is partly what I expected keep calm yes it's 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 a recognized form of self-hypnosis to to some degree okay um people giving up smoking for example when the craving comes in there's techniques that you can adopt where you squeeze your finger and thumb together right and if you squeeze your finger and thumb together please do it while you're listening you'll feel a pain almost you'll feel a sensation you'll know that you're squeezing it together Hmm. now on practice and it does take practice because remember that the brain is a muscle Mm-hmm. And you can't expect to have a six pack without going to the gym. Mm-hmm. So I've you can't. Yeah, <laughs> me too. We can't expect our brain to be the same way. We can't mm-hmm. just expect, oh, I'll squeeze my palm and it'll all go away. We do need to practice these techniques. And it's a sense, a bit of visualization, if you like. If you can take yourself away to a, a tranquil moment in, in time where it's personal to you, you can squeeze your fingertips together breathe deeply think of that place in your mind in your inner eye and and take yourself away to that moment and what it is is basically it's a bit of pavlov classical conditioning if you like it's association Mm -hmm. you are associating squeezing your fingertips together with a tranquil place in your mind Mm. so when you do feel like you're under attack if rehearsed and practiced and i'm talking every morning when you wake up spending two or three minutes breathing deeply thinking of that place, squeezing your fingertips together, again at lunchtime, and then again before you go to sleep, several times a day for a period of time, whilst all the negotiations are going on, up to that point of the court hearing, if you like, mm-hmm. 
practicing it and practicing it and practicing it. So when you do get to that stage where you feel like your buttons are being pressed and you do feel like your emotions are being aroused and you do feel like you maybe want to attack back, squeezing your fingertips together can make your brain automatically think of your place of tranquility. Hmm. Now, this is where the chemical effect jumps in. You've allowed cortisone levels and adrenaline to be kicked out through the amygdala Squeezing your fingertips together and taking you to that tranquil place will then release chemicals of relaxation. Right. So when the relaxation chemicals kick in, they automatically combat the fight or flight chemicals. But it is a process of practice. It's not something that you can just go, I'll squeeze my fingertips together and feel all right. Yes, I don't want my clients looking at me across the courtroom and say, it's not working. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so clearly it needs a degree of preparation, uh, training, as you say, exercise in that model. Alan, that's uh, brilliant. Thanks for talking us to the Emotional Hijack. Thank you as well for those really practical tips at the end. Um, that, that, that's why we've got you here, so that uh, you know our clients and the people listening to this podcast can really learn from you about what they can do to help themselves so that they can just keep grounded when they feel that, uh, that flight or fight response coming in instead of perhaps making unwise decisions. That's so, wonderful. Thank you very much. Alan, thank you very much. Thank you.